Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Please join us at 9 and 11 a.m. at the Somerville Campus and 11 a.m. at the North Charleston and Remount Campuses. Thank you. We hope you are blessed through listening. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. This whole, he wrote 1 Thessalonians from Corinth. He wrote it to just let people know, get ready. God's coming back. The Lord's coming back. Get ready for his return. He described in great detail in chapter 4 of, of what that return of the Lord Jesus Christ was going to look like. And, and, and he talks about it in every letter. He, in every chapter, he mentioned the return of the Lord. Jesus Christ is coming. And so how do we live in light of the fact that the Lord's coming back very soon? So he says, get ready. And then he goes back, and, and there are letters that circulated among the Thessalonians that maybe he'd already come. And they had missed it. If you were here last week, you remember how we talked about the rapture of the church could not have occurred. It could not take in place, he writes them, because the man of lawlessness has not been unleashed on the earth yet. And, and there hasn't been that great falling away or that great apostasy that will occur in these last days. And so, so here again, the theme was get ready, get ready, the Lord's coming back. And, of course, the Thessalonians live with that anticipation every single day. He's coming down now to the end of the book, the end end of his second letter. And he says, listen, what do we do? Christ is coming back. He's coming very soon. What do we do? And he says, pray. I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray the word of God will go out. I want you to pray that God will protect us and guard us and keep us in these last days. So pray. And I I just believe today that if that message was good for the Thessalonians, it's good for us. So let's take a look at it. Chapter, at first Thessalonians, chapter second Thessalonians three and one. Finally, brethren, pray for us. It's coming to the end. Finally, brethren, let's, let's all pray. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. Everybody say that the Lord is faithful. Some of you missed it on that. I'm going to give you one more chance. The Lord is faithful. Isn't that incredible? Man, you just... Who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Isn't that a great prayer? Father, we just need you today so much. I, uh, I can't do a thing without your help. I need you this morning. I need an anointing of the Spirit of God. I, I pray that this morning as I preach your word, that that word will run swiftly to everyone that is here. And I pray it won't stop here. But I pray that when we leave today, that word will continue to run swiftly wherever we go. Help us, Lord. Teach us today from your word. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look great, and then you may be seated. I want you to use your imagination for a moment. Picture yourself that you're in a foreign country. You're on a mission field, maybe somewhere in the Middle East. The government is anti-Christ, anti-God. There's great persecution. If you're a believer, you could be thrown into prison. You could even be executed. 
uh, around you is idol worship and paganism of every sort. And so you're definitely in the minority and you might be there with a, a few other believers scattered around you. But by and large, you are there all by yourself. They are talking about putting you into prison and, and who knows what's going to follow that. And, and they tell you, you've got one call to make and I'll give you 60 seconds. Now, if, if, if you were like me, and I, I got, if you're like me, you might call somebody, a close relative, family member, some of the United States and say, help, get me out of here. Send me more money. I need somebody to, I need money to bribe these guards or do something. Help me get me out of this mess. Uh, uh, send my provisions, send my supplies, uh, give me a transfer, do whatever it takes, but get me out of here. Well, that might be the natural response. Paul is in the identical situation that I just described to you. But what's he say? Pray for us that the word of God will run swiftly. It wasn't about himself. It wasn't about deliverance. It wasn't about, about, about uh, better creature comforts. But it was just pray that this word will keep going out and go out fast. Isn't that an incredible man of God, incredible missionary, incredible model for us to follow? Let's take a look at it. Verses 1 and 2, he, he talks about praying for us. Uh, now, the believers in, Thessalon- in Thessalonica, they themselves are experiencing persecution. And you can sense this as you read the letter. In fact, twice in the first book he wrote, he says, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. And, and, uh, and, and even in 2 Thessalonians, there's a lot of encouragement. And this is kind of what Paul is doing right now. He's encouraging the church with this letter that he writes, and, and because they're going through it. But not only are the Thessalonians going through it, but the Apostle Paul is going through it. As you go back and you read the book of Acts, you see that when he got to Corinth and he landed there, one of the first things they did is they, he, they, he began to preach. He would always go to the synagogues first and then and preach there as long as he could. And so the religious leaders of the synagogue had him drug into court. And he goes into court and he stands before the, the, the court and, and they accuse him and they bring accusations. He could have been thrown in prison. But the magistrate said, you know what? That's a religious matter. And we don't do religious stuff right here. And they let him go. But you can kind of get the feel as you read to the Corinthians, uh, the letters about Corinth and the letters he wrote from there, that persecution was still intense. He was always under attack, always under scrutiny, always maybe in some way fear for his life. And he was really going through it. And so he writes these guys and he says, listen, right now, I need your prayer. You can't be here. You can't be with me, but you can pray. And listen, church, I want to tell you, there is power in prayer. We can accomplish more in praying for somebody, maybe than any other thing we might be able to do, pray. And he says, pray for me and pray that the word of God will go forth speedily. Uh, Babies are very, very immature. And so when a child is born and uh, he's a baby, it's all about getting his needs met. And when it's small, it's about change my diaper and feed me. And it's my toys and my things. And we call that immaturity. And immaturity in a baby is allowed because they're babies. They're small children. But as they begin to grow a little bit older, they tend to begin to identify with that immediate family for their security. And so they have mom and dad and they have brothers and sisters and they begin to grow up. Uh, yesterday, I went to the birthday party of my grandson, one of my seven grandchildren, and they are awesome. 
You need to meet him sometime. And this was Asher's birthday, and he had just turned four. And so it was all about his birthday party, and we had the gifts there. And, of course, we were trying to eat, and he kept running to the gifts and saying he wanted to open them then and now, and you know how that goes. And it's all about him, but it's, it's beginning now. He has a family consciousness. So, so now it's about his mom and dad and his brothers and sisters and papa and mama. And, and of course, they're great in his eyes. That's me. And... Uh, and so anyway, it's about your surrounding family. And so you move from your totally thinking about yourself and you begin to move to your nuclear family. Now, for Christians, it's kind of the same pattern. When you invite Jesus Christ to come into your heart and life, the Bible says you are a spiritual baby. You are born again. And so you start over just like a babe in Christ. And so it's all about me when I'm first saved, and it's about my deliverance and about my healing and about my getting my life on the right path, and it's about my obedience to the Word, and, and you start to develop a prayer time and cultivate that, and cultivate your relationship with God. But it's basically about you, and then, and then God takes you, and usually when you're saved, it's going to happen in a church surrounding or environment, and so he begins to introduce you with your new brothers and sisters and your new family members, and we're a part of this glorious family of God, and we come together at faith assembly and we praise and worship the Lord and we encourage each other and help each other and that's also awesome but I believe you can be in a church and depend on your church but still remain immature the test of our maturity is not our numbers it's not our building it's not even us getting together and having a wonderful time but I believe the test of real maturity is when we reach out beyond ourselves and begin to touch those around us uh, when we serve the community uh, when we minister to them uh, when we share the good news of Jesus Christ when we get beyond ourselves immature selfish and we begin to reach out and strategically touch those who God has placed in our sphere of influence. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and he says something remarkable. He, he, he gets to chapter, I think it's three. He says, I could not write unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Now, the word carnal means fleshly. In fact, you wouldn't even use that word carnal in, in relationship with Christian because the bottom line is you can't have a fleshly Christ-like. They're an oxymoron. But he says, I write unto you as unto carnal. And he goes on to explain what he meant by that is you are still yet babes in Christ. He says you are still yet very immature. You are still yet inner-focused. In fact, he says even now there are divisions among you. And he says, some say I'm of a Paul, and some say I'm of Apollos, and some say I'm of Cephas or Peter, and others say I am of Christ. And he says, are you not acting as babes or immature because the church and body of Christ is divided? Let me let you in a little clue on something. Faith Assembly of God is not the only church in the block. We're a part of the great kingdom of God, which is massive, uh, which there are wonderful churches all around the low country right now declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. Those are my brothers and sisters. And so, first of all, we can't get so myopic that we only look at ourselves, uh, but we need to also reach out and see what God is doing in the greater kingdom of God. And even beyond that, he stirs and challenges every one of us to run swiftly with the gospel. A mature believer. Mature child of God, a mature saint will do that. And Paul says, I want, to, I want you to pray to that end. It becomes a mark of our spiritual maturity. We need to be about the mission of the Great Commission. So he gives two prayer requests. 
And he says, I want you to pray about two things. He says, number one, pray that the word of God would run swiftly. He says that in, in the New King James Version. In the NIV, I think it says, pray that the word of God would have free course. What does he mean by that? Do you know it's possible that the word of God can be hindered? You can hinder the word of God. It's not bound, but it can be hindered in its spread. How is it hindered? Well, opposition can hinder the word of God. And you know, in some places, you're not allowed to declare the word of God or, or pass out Bibles or witness on the streets. And there's, 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 uh, they come against forces of darkness. And so there can be opposition to the spread of the word of God. The word of God can also come on unprepared hearts. The Bible describes four kinds of soils. And one of those soils is a hard soil. And the Bible says, when the seed of the word, he calls the seed, the word, when the seed of the word falls on hard ground what happens the birds of the air come which is the evil one and he snatches away the seed out of their heart that's hindering the spread of the word of god because there are unprepared hearts i believe the word of god can even be hindered in this place by people falling asleep none of you i know no one's asleep yet i'm watching I see you up there on the back row of the balcony. It can be hindered by wondering thoughts and wondering minds and thinking about, man, we should get on with it. I need got lunch plans today. You see how easy it is for the word of God to be hindered? But the Bible says the great need is for the word of God to run swiftly. It's the picture of an Olympic runner uh, running in a race. Now, the word of God is moving. It's it's going forward. uh, But what happens is when you add prayer to the gospel, it speeds up the pace. Isn't that awesome? Word of God's always moving, always going out. It it goes abroad. But if you want it to get there quickly, unhindered, unimpeded, he says, pray. Pray for souls. Pray for the lost. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your missionaries. Uh, Pray for those who are taking the word of God. uh, And as you begin to add your prayer to it, that impetus to it, it's like shooting shooting the runner right out of the starting block. you got that word picture of the word going out very rapidly, very quickly, and spreading all over the place. Now, that's what happened in the first century. The word of God just kind of exploded in the Roman Empire, began to spread very rapidly throughout Asia Minor. Paul's planting churches. Uh, you get to the, in, in Jerusalem that they added to the church, and then the number multiplied greatly, 3,000, 5,000. They just throw some numbers in there. It was spreading and running out very quickly. But something began to happen uh, after that mix of, of uh, the Romanism and the mix of Christianity around 300 AD, that the word of God began to become stifled because they become ignorant of what was in God's word. And not only that, but they lost their missionary zeal. Do you realize that the, the, the word of God has never run more swiftly than it has in the history of mankind than in the last century? When the Holy Spirit was outpoured at the turn of the century in the early 1900s, there was God moved by his spirit, began to pour his spirit out on all flesh. It started in America, Topeka, Kansas, Azusa uh, Street, California, Hot Springs, Arkansas. There were pockets of Pentecostal believers all around America. And, And all of a sudden, it began to explode. Now, let me tell you how it exploded overseas. In Africa, in 1900, less than 10% of the African population was born again. Today, 
over 50% of everybody in Africa is a born-again child of God. Isn't that incredible? Less than 10 million in 1900. Today, there are over 350 million believers in Africa alone. Phenomenal. The word of God is running swiftly. We can't plant churches fast enough in the nation of Africa. In China, communism comes in. They attempt to kick out God. I want to tell you, there are hundreds of millions of believers right now in China alone in the underground church all across that land and that nation. In Korea, listen to this. Christians outnumber Buddhists which is a remarkable turnaround from what it used to be. Uh, And now Korea is sending out missionary into other parts of the world. And I believe over 50% of Korea is also born-again believers. Uh, The Word of God is having free course. Uh, and, and, And the exciting thing is when this Word of God has free course, it begins to set people free. Isn't that awesome? Sets them free from sin and guilt and bondage and immoral behavior and sets them free from their emptiness and their loneliness. The word of God has power to set the captive free. So it says pray. Pray that the word of God would have free course. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Just when you pray, and and I'm making an assumption that everybody in here prays. Now, that may not be the case, and so we'll just... Let the Holy Spirit do his work and speak to our hearts and encourage you. I'm not trying to dump guilt on anybody because this can be a a discipline that sometimes goes unnoticed in our lives. But when you do pray, I want to ask you to pray for me. I know that sounds very selfish, but I need God's help. I I can't do anything. I can't pastor this church without God. I need his help, and I need his help in, in, in ministering and in preaching the word of God and declaring the word of God, that it would just run like a light a runner, Olympic runner, wherever we go. Pray for our other campus pastors. We've got Pastor Sam now in Monk's Corner. Pray the word of God will spread swiftly through that brand-new church all throughout Monk's Corner. I've got Pastor uh, Ken over at the, one of my north campuses, North Charleston campuses. Pray that the word of God will run quickly and will preach with anointing and power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. Uh, pray for Pastor Blaze on Remount Road as we reach into that part of the city. Let's pray that the Word of God will begin to run swiftly. In a couple of years, we're going to be launching our next plant. It'll be in Goose Creek, South Carolina. Pray that when we build our church there, launch our, our, our mission there, that the Word of God will run swiftly. Every time we plant a campus, it's not so we can have more buildings, uh, but it's so those can be preaching points where the Word of God will continue to spread swiftly. Pray, pray. If you've been here a while, from time to time we have missionaries come and they share their heart and they share their burden. And, and many times they'll have a prayer card sitting on the table and you walk out the door, they pass the card out and sometimes you get it. And it's often we forget about these guys. But listen, some of them are in country, on third world countries in great poverty and they sacrifice their families and their homes and, and others are in uh, places where there's persecution and difficulty and opposition. They can't even declare the word of God openly, yet they still go into these lands and nations and and just pray for our our missionaries. We have now over 130 missionaries that we support and keep on the field. Pray that God will use them that wherever they're at, the word of God will run swiftly. Isn't that a great prayer request? So he says, pray, pray for that to happen and take place. There was a group of college students who were touring a, the inner city of a, uh, of a large city. And uh, they noticed 
a little girl, couldn't have been four or five years of age, rags, clothes falling off her little body, dirty, filthy, playing down in the dirt and in the garbage. And one of the college students looked at the person who was walking them through these darkest cities of our nation and, and said, and said to the, the tour guide, uh, why doesn't the mother do something? How, how can she be there so dirty and poor and naked? And the tour guide made this statement, and I want you to listen to it. The girl's mother probably loves her, but she doesn't hate dirt. You hate dirt, but you don't love her enough to go down there and clean her up. Until hate for dirt and love for that child are contained in the same person that little girl is likely to remain as she is. I want to tell you, that's a powerful analogy. Some of you hate dirt and you hate sin and you can be very judgmental, but you don't love people. And others of you love people, but you don't hate their sin enough to do anything about it. But when you take those two and merge them together, you can become a powerful witness for the Lord Jesus Christ and lives will begin to be changed all around us. You you have that perfect mix in Jesus Christ. He, he was righteous and holy, and he would say, go and sin no more. He lived a spotless life. He hated sin, and yet he always was moved with compassion, and he looked upon the multitudes as sheep without a shepherd. In fact, turn, if you would, Matthew 9. I, I want to read it to you because it goes on to tell us something. Matthew 9 and verse 35. Here's the story. When Jesus went about in their cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness, he's going in there healing disease and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary, scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. He, the tremendous love for people in their dirt. Verse 37, and then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So what do we do? Verse 38, therefore, pray. Same things Paul said to the Thessalonians, pray. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Now, let me let you in a little secret. When you begin to pray this prayer, something begins to happen. God taps you on the shoulder and says, you know what? You're praying about all those souls. And he stirs your heart with a love for them like you've never had before. And all of a sudden, you become compelled to, like Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. Pray. Let's do that. Let's pray the word of God will run swiftly. Let's pray for laborers because that's how the word runs. That picture of that Olympic runner, when we talk about the word running in every corner of the world, it's going to happen through laborers. And so he says, pray for laborers into the harvest field. I want to ask you a question. Who's on your prayer list today? Pray for your pastors, your missionaries, your friends and loved ones who are lost, and pray that God will use you. Second thing he says, not only pray that it will run swiftly, but he goes on in verse 2 to say, pray that for deliverance from evil people. Now he says, pray for unreasonable and wicked men. He describes them like that. Some people tell you, you know what, everybody's got, a little, everybody's got that little butterfly in them, and everybody at their core is basically good. 
if, if you believe that, then you're heading towards that road of universalism. And somehow, if everybody's good, everybody's going to make it into heaven. I want to tell you that is not what the Bible says. For we are covered in our iniquity, in our sins. Uh, he says there is no good thing within us. He says our own righteousness is as filthy rags to be discarded. And so he says, in this world, you will be surrounded by unreasonable and wicked men. Why can they be unreasonable when we bring a message of love? Because what happens is our message of love and our gospel of the kingdom of God threatens their ability to do what they want to and live their own life like they want to. And so they don't want God or any of us interfering with their wicked lifestyle. He says, you're facing opposition because they are basically unreasonable and they are wicked. Now, even though we sometimes are attacked by unreasonable and wicked men, it, it may not be so much over here. But I want to tell you, in Islamic countries in, in particular, but in other countries of the world, uh, listen, our missionaries go out there and they're taking the gospel, but they are always in danger for their life. Uh, and so he says, pray for two things. When you pray for your missionaries, pray the word of God will run swiftly. But number two, pray that God will protect them. Say, God, when they're out there on the mission field and they're traveling around, you cover them, you protect their families, uh, you protect their children, uh, you kept your hands on them, uh, because all around them they are surrounded by unreasonable and wicked men. So those are Paul's two prayer requests. Pray the word of God to run swiftly and pray for un uh, that he'll be protected from unreasonable and wicked men. And he says, you know what? He says, we can pray this because he says in verse number three, God is faithful. Isn't that great? When you pray, you're not wasting your time. It may be the best use of time you ever spend throughout your day. Why? Because he said, the Lord is faithful. And he, so he draws the attention of the Thessalonians to the faithfulness of God. Believers may let you down. Your friends may fail you. Even in your time of need, even in your time of hurt, uh, even in your time of pain or trials or test, uh, believers may fail. They may fail to pray for you. They may fail to encourage you. They may not be there with you. Uh, they may not come along beside you and help you in your hour of need. But I want to tell you, not our Lord. God is faithful. All the time, God is good. And he's faithful. And he will be with you. And then as you look at the text, look at these verses together from verses 3 on. He lists four characteristics of the faithfulness of God. Number one, he says in verse 3, he is faithful to establish the believer and keep him from evil. Isn't that great? God's faithful. He will establish you. He's able to keep you from the evil one, from him coming and taking you over. The word established carries the idea of strengthen or secure or make stable. He's able to stabilize you. The, the idea of keep or guard carries the idea of guard or protect. God guards you. He encamps his angels around about you. Now, I want to tell you, even though it may seem at times like the evil one is winning, God will protect you and keep you, and he will never, ever win over a child of God. He is defeated, and God is able to establish you, number one, and able to guard you, number two. He is able to come in and deliver you in your hour of trial. 
Listen to some of these verses. Romans 8, 28 is a great promise. Sometimes we don't understand what's going on around us. But Romans 8, 28 says, For all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And so even though I may not know what's going on in my life right now, I can trust God's promise that God is able to deliver me. And in the end, this will work out for my good. Another promise. Look, if you would, at Philippians 1 and 6, he says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, Listen, God is able to deliver us by completing his work of salvation in me, uh, that one day he who begun the good work, he's going to complete it. What a great promise. Listen to 2 Timothy 4 and 18. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and prepare me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, God will deliver us uh, by saving us from death. Uh, and one day I will ever be with the Lord. So God is able. God is able to deliver. We've all been disappointed at times. But God remains faithful. God remains faithful to you when you can't even see him. God remains faithful to you when you don't even know if he's there. Heard a story of a little girl who was flying a kite. And the kite was way up in the air and it was wrapped around her wrist. And and, uh, it was so high you couldn't even see the kite with the clouds in the background. It just kind of blended away and uh, just wasn't there. And, And her big brother came along and says, what are you doing holding that string in your hand? And she said, well, there's a kite on the other end. And the brother looked at her and says, what do you, I don't see anything. There's no kite up there. And she says, well, wait a minute. And she took the string off and tied it on his wrist and said, okay, I want you to pull your hand down right now. And he pulled his hand down. And as soon as he pulled his hand down, that kite dipped and dove and pulled up against his hand. And he felt the tug of the kite in reverse. Now, there are times in our own life when we may not see God. We may not see his hands against the backdrop of the clouds, of our circumstances, of our difficulties. And we look around and we want to say, God, where are you? I can't see you. I'm down here by myself. Do you know what's going on? Do you care, God? Do you see? And yet by faith, I believe he's there. How do I engage my faith? I pray. And when I pray, it's like tugging on that kite string. And all of a sudden, it jerks right back. And I know God is there. God is in the house. God will see me through. He is alive. And he is on his throne. But you won't know it unless you tug on the string and go to the Lord in prayer. And then he comes down and he tugs you right back. Isn't that an awesome analogy and illustration? So whenever you're faced with something greater than yourself, go to God in prayer. You weren't meant to carry that stuff. God is able to help you and strengthen you uh, when you're sick in your body. Say, God, I need your healing power and your healing touch right now. And I believe you're my healer. If you've lost a loved one, uh, you need to tug on that string uh, and go to the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our tribulation and test. uh, When the task ahead of you is too big and you can't handle it, you go to God in prayer. You hang on. You hang on. When the temptation is too great, you don't know how long you can make it. So there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. 
We will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with that temptation make a way of escape. Tug on that string. Tug on the string. He is faithful to establish and keep you. Second thing Paul says when he writes this church, he says, not only is God faithful to establish and keep you, but in verse 4, he says he is faithful to enable you to keep his commandments. You can see it right there in the text. I read a quote by Ed Wood about the army, and he compares God's army to the way sometimes we operate in the church. Listen to it. What if an army were run by the same lack of obedience, order, and discipline that we often see in the local church? It could never win the war. If soldiers attended drill whenever they felt like it, they would never be equipped to face the enemy. If the recruits disobeyed the officer's orders in the same way church members disobey the word of God, they would be court-martialed. A soldier obeys primarily out of loyalty and fear. But a Christian has a much higher motive for obedience, God's love, and Christ's return. Isn't that a great statement? I think sometimes we need to take our cues from the army a little bit in the way we operate in the family of God. The idea of being commanded, when I talk about God will enable you to keep his commandments, some of you start to cringe. Ah, here we go. Here's the commandments. Now he's going to get on to us now. You're all of them being named in your mind. In America, we don't like to hear the word commandment. We like the word suggestion, don't we? We like the 10 suggestions. <laughs> Listen to what God's word says. He, he says in... 1 John 2 and 3. Now, by this, we know that we know him if we keep his suggestions. If we keep his commandments. This is the sign to everybody and myself that I love God. Because I want to do what God tells me to do. And so God is faithful. He will help you to keep those commandments. Third, he goes on in verse 5 to say, the Lord is faithful because he will direct your heart towards the love of God. That's an incredible thought there. I I want you to think about that. When I'm going through a difficulty, as the Thessalonians were, and we often face in life, sometimes I am tempted to believe the lie of the devil that God doesn't love me. But when it says he will direct your hearts, the idea of direct is to set your path on a course of action by removing any obstacle out of the way. So what happens is that Paul is saying God wants to get you back in the center of the heart of God, which is simply this. God loves you. And if I know that God loves me and I abide in the center of his love, then that'll get me through the trial. That'll get me through the persecution. That'll get me through the test. And he says, God is faithful and he's always there to direct us back to the heart of God's love. And that's an incredible place to be. And then the fourth thing he says is, is God is faithful to keep you in the center of Christ's patience. And what, where's that patience come into play? Obviously, this whole letter revolves around the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ is coming back, and yet they thought he'd already come. You're going to learn next week, some of them quit their jobs. They quit working. They went to a welfare system. 
We might look at that a little bit next week. And that's kind of the church was going to there, and they were going to take care of all the needs of everybody. And Paul says, you know what? You need to work if you want to eat. That's, that's not a bad principle. We'll look at that in detail. Don't get mad at me now. We'll just we'll look at it next week. You've got to come. But, but uh, he says... He says he will lead you, he's faithful to lead you into Christ's patience. Uh, in other words, the Lord is coming back, and if I know Jesus Christ is coming back, I can hang on. Help is on the way. There's hope on the way. Jesus, my Lord and Savior, is coming back again. The Lord is faithful. Last scripture, turn to Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance, great word endurance, the race that is set before us. How many know that the race following Jesus Christ is not a hundred yard dash? It's a marathon. Looking unto Jesus, you keep your eyes straight ahead. You look to the runner on the right, runner on the left, you look behind you, you're going to get whooped. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down at the right hand of God, of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. If you'll fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, the trailblazer, the one who went before all of us, He says that will keep you encouraged, keep your heart strong, keep your faith strong. And as long as your eyes and gaze will be set and fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can finish the race well. And church, this is good news today. I I can tell I'm, I'm, this is great news. I'll just stop right there. So much so that not only do I know Christ is coming back. But, but God will keep his hand on me, even in the midst of opposition I face right now. Now, this message was, had to be a great encouragement to the Thessalonians. Therefore, therefore, encourage each other. And he says, pray. And he says, why do we pray? God is faithful. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.